Hi everyone and welcome back to another Parliamental. Anne, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, it's been it's been a busy time. I know. Let's be honest. I know. So let's get straight into the show. Now, it's the only story this weekend. England and Wales voted to leave the EU. Scotland, Northern Ireland and Gibraltar votes to stay in. But we're all coming out. It's a decision that's already seen the Prime Minister resign. Calls mm -hmm. for Irish reunification. Spain demanding joint control over Gibraltar. And Nicola Sturgeon saying that a Scottish independence referendum is back on the table. And all that was before lunchtime on Friday. <laughs> so Anne, what are your first thoughts? Oh, do you know, I find I'm going to my bed really, really early these days because I know I'll need all my strength the next day to keep up with all the changes. Um, I, I'm concerned. I'm concerned, first of all, that the fallout, if you, um, maybe I want to use a less negative term, but the impact of all of this um, is is uh, having on people and some people are being quite fearful, and not always because of what, because we Britain has chosen to leave the European Union, but because of the state of British politics at the moment, as you say, David Cameron's resigned, um, the Labour Party, well, the Parliamentary Labour Party are doing what they're doing to Jeremy Corbyn, half of them are resigning. Um, and then in the middle of it all, you've got Nicola um, just really being a real stateswoman and steadying the ship. And I think people need that, but I think the whole of Britain needs the government that they elected to get up there and say, this is how we're going to move forward. And, you know, to talk about the impact, the, you know, the schisms that have resulted from this. I mean, I'm reading all sorts of horrible stories about people who now think this vote means that their racism is legitimised. That's not me saying anyone that voted to leave is racist. But because the campaign was built on an anti-immigration, uh, you know, uh, mood. theme, yeah. mood, yeah. Um, I'm hearing all these stories about people now not being afraid to be blatantly racist. Um, so we've got a government down there. They need to come out. They need to stand up. George Osborne's not been seen for several days. Yeah, I don't know to him. They've got to do something, and that's my first thought and answer, my very long answer to that question. My first thoughts are people need to feel reassured that things will continue as normal for the moment and that things will be steady. We've got that reassurance from Nicola in so much as she has the power to do that, um, but the whole of Britain needs that reassurance from its political leaders, so they better step up to the mark and get on with it because mm. hiding away is not helping anybody. Yeah, like you're saying, I mean, the, the UK leadership's kind of disappeared. Yeah. Cameron, Osborne, Jeremy Corbyn's kind of being attacked at the minute or have been undermined. Yeah. And like, yeah. So those are the two main parties in the UK context. Not heard much in the Welsh Assembly. Um, and Nicola Sturgeon's got a government in Scotland anyway that's got the highest um, approval rating or the, the highest... Um, vote, mm -hmm. if you like, per yeah. population. We've got a kind of unified vote around the EU referendum. Yeah. So yeah, it seems like the leadership we've got in Britain is kind of coming from Scotland at the minute. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is not... Um, I, I really didn't want this to happen. and But it was incredibly stark when you looked at the results. I actually got fed up waiting. I got really tired. Um, normally I'll, I stay at the count all night and I left the count about two in the morning. And I came back home and I watched for maybe an hour and I thought, you know what, I'm going to do what I've not done since I was a child. I'm going to go to bed and wake up and find out. But before I did, I predicted that it would be 52% to leave. Wow. And it was 51.9. And wow. I'm quite chuffed for myself, although I wish I'd been wrong. Um, and that Scotland would vote in the early 60s to, to remain. And that, to me, that was a really stark, the difference when you just looked at the map when the you know, they filled it in with one colour for remain and one colour for leave. It was really, you know, quite obvious that there was only one way for us to go. And you cannot, if if maybe 52% of people in Scotland had said we want to remain, the argument that Nicola is now using wouldn't have been so strong, but she has no choice now. That number of people, 62% of people in Scotland want to remain in the European Union and we're being told we have to leave. She's got no choice other than to go down the route that she's going down. But I would, I would, I don't think there's there would have been any shortage of material changes or reasons to call a referendum in the next few years. And I really wish that this wasn't the reason we were doing it. But it is, and I I think there's no other option if we want to protect Scotland. 
I think that um, it's all about context for me. And again, I wasn't, I was a Remain voter. I wanted to remain part of the EU. Um, but I can totally see arguments for and against it. And there's, there is a gen, there's a, there's a parallel universe where there's a Remain camp, a Leave campaign that's actually really positive and would replace some of the negative things about EU with, with more positive things. But that's not the context we're in just now. It's a, it's a, it's a Boris Johnson kind of context that we're operating mm -hmm. in at the minute. So, and like you're saying, I know it's anecdotal looking at social media this morning, but it seems like every, well, a lot of people's latent racism has now been allowed to flourish. And yeah. it doesn't seem to be about any positive reason about leaving Europe. Mm -hmm. It seems to be a sort of get them out yeah. um, argument, which, doesn't even work. Doesn't even make sense. There's no, it doesn't because they've now now you've got people who voted for that reason, um, saying you promised that you would stop immigration. Now do something about it. Well, they didn't actually promise that they would stop immigration. I thought they were quite clear. They said that we will no longer have to will no longer have to take European immigrants unless we want to. And, you know, they were claiming that would open it up to uh, migrants from the rest of the world more. I'm quite sure that's not what they wanted. Um, but basically, they are now saying, well, we're not saying that we can control immigration. But my feeling, I, I go along with this argument that Boris Johnson et al. We'll take Nigel Farage out of it for the moment. Uh, Boris Johnson et al. did not want to win. They wanted to raise the profile. Not all of them, obviously, but he did. he look like a man who had... Can you imagine if we had... When we had a referendum, if we had won a referendum and Scotland was declaring independence, which is what they're claiming Britain's doing, although yeah. Britain's always been independent. But if Scotland was declaring independence, would Alex Salmond look the way Boris Johnson looked the other morning? And no, of course he wouldn't. So I agree that Boris Johnson didn't want, he wanted it to be close and he wanted that to be a personal victory for him for when he pushes forward to try to become prime minister. And that is somebody playing games with our lives. I mean, the, the, the referendum in total was obviously produced by Cameron to kind of stave off the only threat to the Tory party, which was UKIP. Tory party is usually very together, um, obviously, mm -hmm. um, because their organising principle isn't a lot of laughs, really. So they're usually together. The only threat they had was UKIP. He promises that to stave off that threat, gets through an election, and then has to pay the piper. Yeah. And like you're saying, Channel, I think Channel 4 put together a great video on their Facebook page, if you look at it, which is a cut of Boris Johnson's statements. Up until the end yeah. of up until the end of uh, the up until the end of the referendum, which was, you know, the common market's brilliant, pro Europe, pro Europe, and then there's a change mm -hmm. that it's all about British values and we need to get out, and then it's like you're saying Boris Johnson looking haggard mm -hmm. and sad now that mm -hmm. he's kind of got this. I think mm -hmm. the the mood was that he was he was hoping for a sort of glorious defeat, if you like, so he can be the champion of Britain, yeah. the champion of England, and then see it from a kind of Eurosceptic point of view, but not <laughs> completely out of Europe. And now it, he's kind of got, he's now holding the ball, really. He was also trying to claim that he was the champion of the underclass, almost, because, well, he didn't quite use those words, but he kept, towards the end, he kept talking about the, you know, the British establishment and the British elites and how, you know, it cannot all be about them. And I thought, what are you? Yeah. What are you if you're not the, you know, the embodiment Mm -hmm. of the British establishment. Yeah. Old Etonian, um, <laughs> spectator colonist. Ed oh, yeah. I, and, and, but I, I just want to say something about people who, who voted to leave. I don't believe that, I mean, there were left-wing campaigns. There was a, a Lexit campaign, so that was the some of the far-left campaigning to leave. I personally think that they made the wrong decision, but I think when they saw the way the Brexit campaign was going down that anti-immigrant verging on racist, at times racist route, they should have pulled out, they should have made a state, they should have done something. Um, but there's, there are a lot of people who voted. If you look at where they voted in England to leave, it was the poorest areas. Now, it wasn't necessarily the areas with the, high levels of immigrants. Mm -hmm. um, but you tend to find that UKIP tends to do better in areas where it's the perception of immigration rather than the number of immigrants. So areas with high proportion of immigrants, I guess what happens there is the, you know, they integrate well and they realise that they're not that they're not the threat that UKIP say they are. So UKIP tend to do well. And so peop where people voted to leave, I truly believe 
some of those people will be anti-immigrant, some of them will be instinctively racist, others will have become racist because they don't know where else to express their anger. And you know what the establishments always do, it's divide and conquer, make them fight amongst themselves rather than fight who it is that's imposing all this uh, poverty on them. But I do think a lot of people were just looking for a way to express how frustrated they feel with the political system. And in England, if you think about it, you can vote Tory, but if you really aren't happy with the way that the Tory austerity cuts have, you know, you know, plunged your family and your communities into poverty, you can you can vote for somebody else. Who would that be? Oh, Labour, right, okay, so you vote for Labour, who also support austerity cuts, and we're offering that at the last election. You could have voted Lib Dem, but what did they, oh, they, they went into coalition with the Tories before. And you can vote Green, which is what I would do if I was down there, probably. Um, but they, they've, they've got a long way to go before they're going to get elected in numbers that are going to make any difference. We're lucky here. We've got an alternative, and it's a decent alternative. Um, and, and it's an alternative that is made up largely of people from working class backgrounds who have experienced poverty or experienced low pay or whose family members have experienced that themselves. So we're lucky and I think, I don't want to berate the people in England who voted to leave. Um, I don't want to say that they were duped. I don't want to patronise them like that. But I do think a lot of them, what they were voting for was just to say, get me out of here, do something, not get me out of Europe, just get me out of my situation, do something to help me. And for some reason, Nigel Farage appeals to people in that situation because he likes to put on this act that he's one of the, he's one of, he's just an ordinary working class. Just an ordinary which, ex-banker. Aye, uh, uh, exactly. Which is, is, is a big, is a big con, but um, it's the impression he creates and he, clearly does it well. Yeah, there's interesting parallels between, like you're saying, um, the, the voting for IndyRef in Scotland around there is a disaffection with the status quo. Um, but what I found is interesting, again, anecdotal, but seeing reports about there were lots of cameras around the boroughs of London, speaking to people in London voted to remain, but speaking to people who voted to leave. And there was definitely, I remember hearing a few people say basically, you know, our wages are in the toilet, um, talking, to, talking to people who were fishmongers and things like that, talking about fishery policy. And it was basically, but they were attributing all these things towards Europe that were actually actually Tory party policy over the past mm. 30 years. Mm. So they were they were annoyed at an establishment mm. and they pinned the tail on the European establishment and not their own. Yeah. And what they don't think they realised is that they've now, they've, they're just joining a group that's only made of the Tory establishment. Yeah. So the people that screwed them over years are the Tories. They've blamed Europeans and now they've locked themselves in a cupboard with the Tories yeah. for the next however many years. And do you know what I think Cameron's biggest mistake was, was having the referendum so quickly. Now, we were criticised in Scotland for, I can't remember how long it was, over a year anyway, that our referendum, uh, the run-up to our referendum, um, and some people said, oh, that white paper we produced just allowed people to pick it apart. But in actual fact, what it allowed people do, to do was become more educated. That length of process meant people had multiple opportunities to engage online, at local public meetings, you know, uh, through art forms, everything. Now, I think if he had given a much longer lead-in time to it, people, the people you're talking about would have come to realise there would have been time to get that message through to them that the things that you're complaining about and you're right to complain about them, that's Tory policy. That is Westminster that's doing that to you. And, and it's nothing to do with Europe. And I just think that David Cameron was being too smart. He thought that he could run a quick uh, campaign and that there was no chance that they were going to uh, lose. And and he hedged his bets and he was, he was wrong. I think if he'd left it a few months, maybe had it in September, October, I think people would have had a longer opportunity. And the sad thing is now they're going to become politically educated and they're going to think, what 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 have we done to mm. ourselves? Again, parallels to India, for people voted to remain part of the UK, and now ever since then, in a way, it seems like it's been a victory because it's been a yeah. it's been a, a near miss yeah. for many people. And then only after the fact have they started to look at it and feel a bit more educated. And whatever decision people make in the next independence referendum, they'll definitely be more educated oh, now than they were before yeah. it. Yeah. But the only thing is that for England now and for the UK, they've actually made that decision to leave too soon so there's no there's no chance of that re-education yeah 
And so just to point out, there's maybe a lot of kind of foley, as we call in the business here, and it's uh, Tinkerbell is now sitting in Anne's arms after wrapping her tail around the mic. And she's fallen, she's literally fallen asleep, she's got her eyes shut. I'm really trying hard not to let her distract me, but we had to take her out of the kitchen. I'd locked her in the kitchen, but she was battering the door down, so I had to let her out for a bit of peace. But what are you hearing from from colleagues and stuff? Obviously, it's, this is we're recording this on Sunday, so it's uh, two days after the result, really. So, what I mean, what's the kind of mood that you're hearing from people you know, even colleagues, people in the party, whoever? Um, it's mixed. Uh, somebody, well, I tell you, somebody had it now on Friday. I, I don't know what possessed me, but I had a full diary. So, I, oh, despite being up most of the night on Thursday night, I had a surgery at half past nine. And then I had back-to-back meetings up until the demo that I was speaking at at night. Um, somebody I had a meeting with said that he was trying to think, when was the last time I felt the way I feel right now? And the way he felt right then was, what's happening to the world? What is happening? I don't understand. And um, he said the last that he remembered when it was he last had that feeling, and it was the day, it was 9-11 when the Twin Towers were bombed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, and that's not a party member, but colleagues and other activists are, are really uh, torn. Um, and, you know, some of them are comparing it to, if you remember the day of the referendum, uh, we had worked so hard and in Proven, there was this massive, massive team and we were all so close and worked so closely together for months, some of us for years. And it was the big build-up, and we lost the referendum, and there was that feeling. And then the following day, something happened. I think it was to do with the way Alec Salmond handled it. But anyway, basically, that night, well, I'd already organised a get-together for that night. That night, in Proven, we got together, and we sat in a big circle, and I just said, right, everybody just see how you feel. And everybody said how they felt, and it was unbelievably uplifting because everybody felt this isn't over. It's not over. Um, And so we went from the complete despair to almost elation and determination. And most of those people have stuck around, uh, mainly through the SNP, but not all through the SNP, but most of those people have stuck around and continued. So people were comparing it to that feeling of, and same with the Westminster elections. Um, yes, we've got 56 of the 59 MPs elected, followed by, no, we're still ruled by a Tory government. So it's that up and down thing. So everyone is just basically comparing it to that. It's, yes, we could be having another independence referendum, but no, look at the reason why, look what's happened in the world. So it's just a real kind of, everybody's on a bit of a highs and lows mm. at the moment. I think for, for us in Scotland, though, we... One thing to focus on is that we still have a chance that we've still got mm-hmm. this kind of lifeboat of independence that we can we can go for, and I suppose it's one of the few things left that gives us kind of hope out of Brexit. And other parts of the UK don't have that. If you're if you're a Remain voter, and you know again, was it forty eight percent to fifty two? So if you are if you're one of the half of England that didn't yeah. want to leave, you kind of don't have that opportunity. Well, my sister and her husband and uh, their ten year old adorable nephew, oh, he's my nephew, not their nephew, uh, Toby, uh, live in Manchester, and she was saying to me that she's not met anybody under the age of 65 who voted to leave. Um, and there's a bit of resentment there that people have been voting and it's them that are going to have to live through it. Um, I, I mean, that's, I mean, everybody's entitled to their vote, of course they are, but you know, she's she's worried. She's really worried. She's actually written to her MP, who's Kate Green, uh, begging her not to allow the Labour Party to tear itself apart at this time, at a time when the Tories are doing that, and there's an opportunity for the Labour Party to, you know, show some proper collective opposition instead of doing what they're doing. But, yeah, I mean... I was speaking at the demo, we had, there was a demo on Friday night and it was about showing solidarity to migrants basically because many of them will be thinking, well can I, I mean I've had somebody saying to me on Twitter that their French neighbour 
has six monthly treatments at hospital and they were really glad that I'd posted a thing from the chief exec of the NHS in Scotland saying nothing will change, you still get your treatments, you still get, you know, treated by the NHS here. But people are afraid, so this demo was held. And when I spoke at that, I was saying, you know, in some ways, we'll be all right, but we can't have that attitude. We'll be all right because we've got that option. We can, if we want, we can be independent. We might choose not to, but we can do that. So we have another option, but we can allow ourselves to forget about friends and family down south um, who didn't want this, or even those who voted for it and now regret it. Because what lies ahead for them, and we need to show some kind of solidarity with them. And I don't know how you do that. I'm just, I just mm -hmm. know that we have to find a way of doing it. Again, like, because it's, although it's 5248, it's still a victory for leave. Um, it's still half of people didn't want it. Yeah. And you can see on these reports the next day, obviously, Vox Pops are an interesting thing. They pick, you know, um, people who make a really bold, brash claim, but there's some people who look genuinely horrified. Genuinely mm. horrified, and it's something yeah. actually I'm I'm finding interesting. Thinking that feeling when I woke up in the morning because like I went to bed because I thought they're not gonna, answers aren't going to come until like three four in the morning, mm. so I just wake up and find out. And I turned my phone on and kind of my phone lit up about fifteen messages, and it was my, the, how I found out was the first one from a friend. A little mini essay sent me about like oh God, we're out of Europe. Um, it's that feeling that I find interesting is that people who voted no for in, in India. The feeling I kind of feel now about leaving, that was the kind of threat that those people felt. Yeah. I find those interesting parallels that, from my point of view, I want to learn that because I'm just now feeling yes. sad, worried. Mm. Obviously, there's the hope of independence, you know, potentially, but feeling kind of sad and worried for Britain and just to think that's what the other side in India must have felt. So how can we use this, you know, to... See, Jerry, you're a Piscean as well, aren't you? Yes. Yes, because that's exactly what I've been thinking. <laughs> That's a very Piscean thing to do, to try to, but it, it is really useful to do that, to think, right, think about how we're feeling and think about how people who are scared of Scotland becoming independent is genuine fear. Sometimes it's, it's prejudice, sometimes it's sectarian, but in actual fact with most people it's genuine fear. And who are we to tell them to, you know, grow up, you know, we have to find a gentler way of bringing them over to the way that, that we are absolutely certain is the way forward for our country. But yeah, that, that empathy is very Piscean. Oh, you, you converted me now, man. I wasn't a believer, but I'm starting to, <laughs> to swear now. So what would you like to see happen next? Current situation, obviously it's choppy waters ahead. What, what do you, what do you, what do you think is the way out here? I don't know. I mean, I've been sort of, I mean, for Scotland, um, it's not just as simple as this, and and I, and I and I do wonder about going immediately into another referendum because I think people are a wee bit jittery at the moment, you know, and uh, we just have to get the timing right. But obviously, that's that's the way forward for Scotland, um, within Europe. So, but the way forward for Britain as a whole, or these islands as a whole. I kind of in the back of my mind, and I don't know if this is, you know, just my uh, a sort of childlike view of the world. I have to say, actually, can I just interrupt this broadcast to <laughs> mention Goggle Sprogs? Have you ever watched that? I saw, I, no, but I, I saw like four seconds of it, but it looked like oh. it could be fun. I, I, I'm not a fan of Goggle Box though, but Goggle Sprogs looked like it could be entertaining. Well, I am a fan of Goggle Box because I like seeing. I like hearing what other people think, and um, but anyway, yeah. So I don't often get to watch it, but Goggle Sprogs, uh, I forgot to watch it the other night. But it was on last week, and there were kids on it, and they were watching a documentary on um, the refugee crisis and the camps in Cali. And uh, oh, it's brilliant listening to them. So with these conversations, like between these two wee boys, um, why did they want to come here? Um, be because it's safe. Is it though? Said the other one, <laughs> is it though? And the other one said, well, it's safer than ISIS. And um, then there was another wee boy saying, well, of course, look, there are plenty of empty houses. It's not like we can't afford to look after people. And the kids were just talking so much sense, but also I was struck by young children, the, a lot of gasps when they were watching it. Mm -hmm. And one wee girl was crying as she watched it. It was really quite sad. Um, now, why was I talking? Oh, yeah, childlike view of the world. So children, I would love to see a TV programme. And I've got a friend who's a commissioning editor, and I'm mm -hmm. going to say this to her. 
you know, there's the program, there's Goggles, Progs, and then there's that thing, the secret life of five-year-olds, which is utterly fascinating. I'd like to see some sort of program where young children are sorting out the world's problems and our domestic problems. I'd love to see that. So my childlike view of things is this, that for Britain, um, they will start to negotiate, they'll have to start to negotiate coming out um, and in the course of those negotiations, a better deal will be put to them, a deal and, and other things will come to light. It will become clear what the impact is actually going to be. Because I mean, I read today that the banking sector is already starting to cut jobs next week. Um, so European headquarters can't be in London anymore um because it's not going to be part of europe so things will happen pretty quickly and i would like to think that it will become clear that there is a change of mood in britain now that they've got the full facts and they're seeing the impact and that a better deal will be offered and there will be a reason to have another referendum so that other referendum might be do we accept this exit package from Europe, um, the, our sort of independence package, they'll call it, and that people will vote against that and change their minds. But that's my secret life of a five-year-old view <laughs> of what I'd like to think would happen. But I think you can't stop it if that's what people want. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fascinating six months until we start to firm up. Obviously, the whole process is going to be really interesting, and that's a euphemism for terrifying. Mm -hmm. um, but... The next six months will be fascinating to see which direction it starts to go down because like you're saying it's happened on friday it's now sunday we're not even back into a monday yet I know. so we don't know what who the next tory leader is going to be what their approach is going to be are they going to uh, is, is um, support for it going to fall away in in westminster or in a public eye so can you see a lot of people you know a lot of people was really fascinating for me and terrifying as well people saying on the news um oh, i didn't realize we were gonna i didn't realize we we're gonna leave yeah. I, basically they thought it was like a protest vote yeah. You know, in a sense, or also some people, uh, which also is an interesting thing because it shows the difference between a constituency vote and a referendum, which I don't know if people were educated about the difference of. You know, maybe used to work living live in a constituency where their vote didn't actually count Aye, because of margins. Right. So maybe they're in this mindset, they're used to voting maybe in their eyes for Tory and a Labour constituency. Mm. They think, well, it just doesn't matter, but every vote did count in the referendum. Well, do you know the other scary thing is, I don't know if you read this, that Google said the day after the referendum there were there was a huge spike in the number of people Googling what is the EU. <laughs> terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> it is it's quite it's quite scary. And you were saying that people were saying, Oh, I didn't I didn't know we were actually going to leave. I've also been reading about uh, regions that voted to leave, like Cornwall saying, Ah, but we better still be getting that money. Or EU money. I know. I know. <laughs> but I mean I guess the point they're making is that the Brexit campaign said, Well, we won't be sending money to Europe anymore. So we'll be able to well, give it out. And I do think it's a little naive to believe that a Tory government um is then going to say, Okay, I'll make sure you don't lose out. Um, you know, and all that money is still going to come your way. It's not. It's, I really am worried about the fallout from this. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, if you have paid any attention to Tory party activity over the past however many years you've been alive, if suddenly, if suddenly we're given an extra three hundred fifty million, they claimed mm. in reality one hundred ninety odd million extra mm. a week. Is that immediately going to put in the hospitals and childcare and cuddles for people? No, that's that, it's not in that budget. It's all about tightening the belt. So I, I don't see why people ever believed that this there'd be extra money. I know. Well, you know, Nigel Farage apparently said on uh, after we voted to leave or they voted to leave, um, Nigel Farage said that thing about putting an extra three hundred and fifty million into the NHS that they shouldn't have said that. That won't happen. <laughs> I, I feel like that was. I feel like that was the Leave campaigns. English votes for English laws moment. Yeah, <laughs> you know when like literally the vote that the results have just come in, and within half an hour, one of the central planks of mm -hmm. that referendum has been been taken away. Yeah, but mm -hmm. tomorrow you're going back to Westminster, or tonight even you're going to Westminster. So, what what's going to happen tomorrow? I've checked the calendar. It seems like business as usual, but obviously stuff's happened. So, what what's going to happen in Westminster tomorrow? Uh, well, tomorrow we've got a group meeting with uh, Nicola, so that's the first thing that's going to happen for us. And then half past two, we start on a Monday. And as I understand it, there are going to be statements from each of the party leaders on on what's happened. Mm. Um, and then obviously we can all chip in. Um, so that, that's all I know at the moment. 
not that I've looked at it in detail because uh, I'm just back to thinking about the next few hours ahead. This is what I'm doing for the next few hours. But yeah, uh, so as far as I understand it, there will be statements on it um, after questions. So there'll be some kind of questions at half past two. Another day for everyone else who doesn't work at Westminster to constantly go back to the TV to watch BBC News or Sky News. I feel like it's the next two weeks is going to be constantly have Sky News on. Yeah. Or, or the Parliament Channel. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's going to... Uh, I think... I mean, even I'm getting fed up with it, but I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed. But I've got it on... Well, we've got the TV muted at the moment, but in the background, we've got um, Sunday Politics. In the bedroom, I've got the radio on, listening to Radio Scotland talking about it. If I had another radio, it would be on in the kitchen because I don't want to miss anything. But, you know, I think that's what people, that's what politicals are going to be like for the next few weeks. Um, I mean, I, I think, you know, we're living through, although it's nerve-wracking, we're living through fascinating times that one day we'll look back on and go, God, yeah, we, we were there and, we'll, you know, we'll always remember this, but just hope that, you know, the direction that we go in next is going to be a good one. And From a democratic point of view, it, it's been a very um, worthwhile time in the sense that there has been these questions put to people, there have been changes and I do feel that whether whether the, their voice and my opinion has been the right one, that people have mm. still had that voice. Yeah. So in some ways, it'll, it'll hopefully reduce apathy one way or the other. Let's just hope that it, it comes back with like a, a nice outcome rather than a bad yeah, outcome. Yeah, I know, I know. Another story that's been, you know, kind of sadly eclipsed because of the referendum is what happened to Joe Cox MP. Mm. As we know, she was uh, killed in her constituency and I think it's obviously going to a court case just now. So that's why kind of maybe news has also dropped off as well as Brexit. But, and obviously you're an MP, you know, colleague. Um, what's What's been the mood like among your kind of colleagues and people in Parliament? Yeah, I've not been down to Parliament since it happened. Um, I'll tell you, when the day that, that Joe Cox was shot, uh, I was in my constituency office and I was having a conversation with staff about security because the day before, the security door in our office hadn't been working and, and a very angry man with a history of violence had suddenly appeared alongside my staff in the office. And so we had a conversation about, you know, how we were going to step up security. He didn't do anything in the end, right? But that's not the point he could have done. And to prove my point, uh, somebody in the team googled to see if um, other uh, other MPs who and their staff who had been attacked in the past and the last one was seven years ago and half an hour later the news came through that she had been stabbed and shot and um, it was awful, absolutely awful. And I, I mean, I came home because I wanted to watch the news on TV. I just wanted to kind of. I sent everybody home because the office door, the main door, wasn't secure unless you locked yourself in. And I, I just got them to work from home um, until I could speak to the landlord. And I came back to the house and, you know, part of me was thinking of, you know, what I would say to her and how I would, how I would, I mean, I, I, I didn't know Joe Cox. I knew who she was. I mean, you couldn't not notice her. She was, she's very, you know, she had an energy about her and very, you know, striking to look at and um, and a good speaker. And I was on no more than nodding terms with her. But Ailey Whiteford uh, in our group had worked with her at Oxfam and knew her really well. And Alison Thewlis had been on committee with her. And when you're on committee with people, you get to know them really well. Um, and uh, But it was a horrendous shock. And when the police came on to give their... Um, statement or the update you could just tell by their faces that she had died and it just I mean I think the shock waves that it sent through not just the MPs not just the Labour MPs oh, obviously it was so much harder for them because she was their friend and I spoke to some of them who I am friends with and they're just absolutely devastated but for you know, the staff who work in constituency offices, it, people in political parties, everybody just really felt it. It really had a big impact. And, you know, the police were in touch right away about, you know, reiterating what we should do for security, arranging to meet up with each of us to talk about our own 
personal security arrangements and um yeah it's it's terrible it was awful awful for her um and her family and um i think you know they handled the whole thing so well but it gets harder after the funeral it gets harder and i think they're going to need to know going forward that people are still thinking about them and i was really pleased when uh, our branch of the SNP, Proven SNP, so relatively, well, it used to be a relatively small branch in the east end of Glasgow of the SNP. Um, somebody came to the branch meeting and said, I've got a card for Joe Cox's family and everybody signed it. And I thought that was lovely and just demonstrated how sometimes you've got to put party politics behind you. Not, not that my politics were particularly different to Joe Cox's. In fact, I said to one of her friends, I said, I don't really understand now that I know so much more about her. don't understand how I didn't know her, how I wasn't friends with her. And, you know, she said to me, well, that, that would have come because, you know, you had so many common interests. So, yeah, it was horrendous, first and foremost, for her family. Absolutely awful for the uh, Labour Party, her friends there. Um, really shocking for all of us and... Um, because of family illness, I couldn't go down for the day that they were recalled uh, for her. And I, and I had hoped that when we went back, you know, maybe we would have a minute's silence where everybody was there because I feel feel the need to do something. But I think now it's just going to, we're moving on to the fallout from the European referendum. But yes, it's, it's just awful and horrendous and it has impacted on security measures. I mean, in terms of process, access to MPs is really important as part of, part of parliamentary democracy and we can expect it and it's maybe not something that happens in other countries where you can go and see a local representative in a kind of private intimate situation and tell them um, you know your problems but obviously something like this if this is an employer that employed 600 people and one of them was killed in a you know a lone worker policy type type place you know yeah. there would be there'd be huge changes to this and people wouldn't mm. so it's, it's it's part from the human cost which is obviously terrible in terms of access to parliamentarians it could be quite chilling for people who want to speak to their MP because obviously something that has to be addressed as people mm. become as more extreme views become prevalent in Britain as people become more one state on different issues that we might see more of this sort of thing so how, how are we going to reconcile that with keeping access to people like you and your co-workers to make sure that you, you can help people in your constituency yeah and I mean there's been no change to security policy for MPs I think what it is is that we're listening now and we're actually putting in place the security measures that they always suggested that, to be honest, I took seriously, but sometimes I thought, oh, <laughs> that's about OTT. Who, you know, it's just me. And, you know, I mean, I live in my constituency. I, I can't be accompanied all the time and I don't want to be accompanied all the time. It would drive me mad, but I have to be aware of things. I mean, things like letting the police know when you're going to be at a public event. I mean, you know how much accessibility means to me and it's a big part of what I do. I have I have regular public meetings where I say anybody who wants to come along, come and ask me anything you want. I need to keep doing that, but we just um need to work more closely with um those that provide security. That doesn't mean having a police <laughs> please bodyguard with yeah. you all the time. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that at all, but um, yeah, it's it's just about. But you're right. Things you don't know how things are going to go, and and you know you don't know there could be copycat attempts. You just don't know what's going to happen. So we all have to take it seriously. And from my perspective, more importantly, I need to take seriously the safety of people that work for me. So, so. That is a big issue. I'm not going to be less accessible. I'm just going to be more careful about it. Like I had a surgery the other day. So I took the advice we're always given. And the advice we're always given is that myself and the staff member in the surgery sit close to the door. And the person that's in sits furthest away. Um, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, we're always in a small room anyway, but it means that you're able to get out if you have to. But also, the, it's a glass, it was a glass door, and with somebody on the other side who was getting people to fill in their mandate forms, but who can see us at all times. Um, we're also getting, you know, personal panic alarms and things like that. So it's just about communicating and letting people know where you are and making sure that everybody's aware of the need for security. 
Now, the investigatory powers bill, which is really easy to say, um, has passed. Now, you had a bit of a barney in your hands in the Commons with that. It's a very complex topic, and it definitely hits on the balance between the individual and the state. So, can you tell us about the debate and your part in kind of summing up? Do you know, I mean, it feels like such a long time ago. It was only a couple of weeks ago. It's just that so much has happened. So, Joanna Cherry... Um, MP, who's also QC, led on the uh, investigatory powers bill. And on the second day, I led uh, the debate for the SNP. And it's always good to do the front bench stuff because you get a comeback at the end of it. You get lots of interventions, you know, and your role is to keep on top of them all day. So I, I really enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy the outcome. I didn't enjoy... Um, I mean, one of the points I was making when I was speaking to the Labour Party was that a lot of what they were agreeing to vote for, they were doing it on trust. Who were they trusting? The Tory government, you know. And I was saying, look, I don't, I, I don't think our Labour colleagues should put their trust and faith in this Tory government to safeguard um, our civil liberties. I think they should vote against it until the safeguards are written in. So, um, but they didn't listen, obviously they didn't listen. So the outcome wasn't great, but we did our best. And uh, now, let me think, it's gone to the Lords. So at the House of Lords stage, uh, that's where we're hoping that they'll bring in, you know, some of these uh, safeguards. But uh, we don't have Lords, obviously. Now, when things go to that stage, what the SNP group does is we work with the crossbenchers, or we work with individual, like on the immigration bill, we spoke to Lord Alf Dubbs, who was the, he's a Labour Lord, um, but he used to be Chief Executive of the Refugee Council. He's very up on campaigning for refugee rights. So he was an obvious person to work with. But it, it is a bit of a difficulty for us because we don't have SNP Lords. That's not a difficulty. We don't want to have them. Mm -hmm. But um, in, this, this... in this context, it's a challenge <laughs> yeah, if it's yeah. going to the Lords. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it was a day or two after the debate, I read the entire debate in Hansard, which is a barrel of laughs. And um, <laughs> it seemed like the quality argument that you were getting whenever you put an argument, was really facile. It was basically like, think of the children. I know. What about terrorists? So you, it seemed to be, I could, even just the volume of text, you, mm. would, you would have maybe three, four, five lines in hand, sad about this point, mm. and the response would be, but, but terrorists, full stop. You know, that seems to be the level of debate Aye. that you were getting back. Yeah, it was. And, that, and I think I picked up on that and summing up at the end, I was raging, I was really angry. Um, and I was saying, you know, to it was Simon Hoare who was on the Immigration Bill Committee with me. And, um, uh, you know, I was saying for him to be making, you know, uh, suggesting that those of us that were opposed to some of the measures in the Investigatory Powers Bill didn't care about children who were the victims of paedophiles, didn't care about the victims of terrorism, was just outrageous and, as you say, really facile argument. You know, there needs to be a bit more respect where they respect that these are our opinions and those are their opinions. It doesn't mean that any of us care any less for anybody. Um, but yeah, it was pretty angry argument. And it's quite funny because um, the chief whip said to me, do you want to sum up at the end? The, the speaker said, there's a few minutes where you can sum up. And I said, uh, oh, no, I, don't, I hadn't prepared to sum up. I don't know what to say. And he said, oh, you'll be fine. And we <laughs> often said yes to her. And I thought, oh, no, what am I going to say? <laughs> um, but the minister annoyed me so much by saying, well, this has been a very, I can't remember how he put it, but very consensual, very pleasant debate. And he's looking over at the Labour benches. Mm -hmm. Of course it was pleasant. They were agreeing with everything they were saying. Um, and I said, well, you know, I'm just going to stand up and disagree. The, the, you know, the, this was not pleasant. It was bad-tempered. And, you know, and I picked up on those arguments and we had, um, who was the guy? I forget his name, uh, but he's a long-term Tory MP who had repeatedly said to, you don't understand, you don't understand. Mm -hmm. And I picked up on that and he actually stood up and apologised. Well, I, I, he was apologising if I interpreted it as him patronising us, but he was. I'm sorry if you were offended. Yeah. One of those kind of <laughs> it was a wee bit better than that, but yeah, um, so... It was um, it was a good day for a good couple of days for the SNP in terms of demonstrating that we will always be standing up for people and their civil liberties. And I have to say, Joanna Cherry was magnificent. 
Um, now, I work in Joanna's team, Justice and Home Affairs, um, so I'm a bit biased anyway, but I have to say she's done a couple of TV things recently and she was just fantastic. But in that debate, she was just magnificent. And they couldn't deny that she knew what she was talking about. Um, and they were quite annoyed that she'd put forward so many amendments. How dare she? <laughs> um, but, you know, she's an MP, so that's how she dares. You mentioned changing the landscape in the last podcast we did on. So... The last podcast we did was like a month ago. I can't even remember what changing the landscape is. Can you remind me and the listeners? What's that? Do you know what? I've got changing the landscape and changing the image and I can't remember which is which. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, I'm just going to look it up. Let's, well, let's it, image the landscape by changing it. <laughs> I'll look up my website, which is www. I probably don't even know the uh, com. Well, changing, I mean, I'll tell you the, the thing behind changing the landscape and uh, changing the image. The thinking behind both of them is that Glasgow North East gets a bad reputation. Um, you know, oh, I remember when I did teacher training um, and my first placement was a five-week placement in a school with primary sevens in Postle Park. And lots of my friends on the course, lovely people, said, oh, you drew the short straw there, didn't you, Anne? Because it was Postle Park. Uh, and I absolutely didn't. I loved those kids. I loved that school. I absolutely loved it. But there, there is a, a difficulty. We do have a, a an image problem. Now, that's not to say we don't have huge problems in this constituency. We do. And that is my, first and foremost, that's my responsibility is to... Deal with the substantive stuff, yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I want people, I want children especially in Glasgow North East to feel proud of the bits of their constituency they should feel proud of. Like, for instance, you know, the community groups that do incredible work and largely on a voluntary basis, you know, there's some unbelievably good stuff going on in the constituency, lots and lots of it, but it's local people, and this makes it better in some ways, it's local people saying, right, they're not doing it for us, we'll just get up and do it ourselves. And I'm going to be highlighting that. So I think that is changing the landscape or is it changing the image? Anyway, I've got a photography competition, basically. So uh, the schools are going to take part in it, but it's not just for schools, it's for everyone. And we'll be launching it shortly. We've launched it with the schools because we had to do that before they broke up. And it's basically take a photograph of something in Glasgow Northeast that is interesting. It can be beautiful. It doesn't have to be beautiful. It can sum up your area or it can just be something that catches your eye one day. Something interesting, something that you think would make a good photograph. And we're going to exhibit these around the constituency. Um, I'm, I can't tell you where yet, but I've got a new office. You've Ooh, got a nice. permanent office now. And they tell you in the next podcast, right? Mm -hmm. So we will definitely display it there, but we're hoping to be able to display it around different libraries and community centres over the course of the next year. So it'll be things that make us um, proud to be part of Glasgow North East, maybe. Uh, so that's one of them. So that might be changing the landscape and ch or changing the image. And the other one is uh, I'm going to be highlighting... I think every month, a community group or an individual person in the community that that does something great. So I think we've already said that Rikese Poverty Action Group are going to be our first group to be highlighted. And I'll tell you more about that when we launch it. Um, but every month I'll be highlighting a different a different reason to be proud of being part of this community. It is so important that if people feel like other people are like-minded or trying to make a difference, it encourages you to do it. And like mm -hmm. you're saying, because it's maybe bottom-up, that's more inspiring. It's not there's mm -hmm. people are parachuting in and trying to do things for you and you know yeah. it's not going to work and all that. But if people, actual local people that you know that you feel empathy with are doing something, yeah. maybe you should do something as well, maybe you should get involved. So yeah, yeah. The, I know what you mean. About it's, it's making a change, but also making people know that there are people out there trying to make a change. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I'm sorry I can't remember which is which, but that's the gist of it. <laughs> <laughs> so just, just, just Anne's website, email her. I've just involved. looked at the website and I'm no further forward. There's <laughs> <laughs> an action, change the website. <laughs> it's a lovely website. <laughs> and also, Anne, I've seen that you're involved with a group called Flag Up Scotland Jamaica. Yep. I know nothing about that. I'm guessing it involves Jamaica. 
Yeah. Do you want to tell me a wee bit more about it? And flags and Scotland. And flags and Scotland. Well, I'd be disappointed if it wasn't all three. Well, do you know that the only other country in the world that has a salt tyre as their flag, as far as I know, is Jamaica? Ah. And do you know that the person who designed Jamaica's salt tyre flag is, uh, was a Scot from Toll Cross in the east end of Glasgow? Well, didn't know that, did you? No. Anyway, Scotland and Jamaica have always had uh, links, uh, not always for good reasons. Yep. So. Um, if you go to Jamaica today, there are more uh, people with the name of MacDonald in the phone book than there are in the Edinburgh phone book. Um, there are street names that are things like named after Scottish towns, villages, there are buildings that are, oh, I don't know, Hamish House. I don't know if there is a Hamish House, I'm just saying. I'm starting to feel the dread here though, because I feel like, I'm like, this <laughs> sounds positive, but I know it's it not. It does, doesn't it? No, <laughs> it's, it's not. <laughs> and it's because... Um, because Scotland had such a big role to play in the slave trade. Mm -hmm. um, now, you know, I know there will be people going, oh, but we're part of the abolitionist movement as well. So we were, that's great. Yeah. But we really benefited from the slave trade. Um, the, many of the buildings in the city centre would not be here, like uh, the Gallery of Modern Art. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Magnificent building would not be here if it were not for the profits from slavery. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm part of this campaign I'm part of a wider campaign that's looking for reparations, but not necessarily financial reparations, but possibly. Um, but Flag Up Scotland Jamaica, uh, my partner, Graham, um, is the chairman of the organisation. It was set up by an English uh, minister living in Arran by the name of David Pott. He's still part of it, but he's actually moved back down to England now. So Graham has taken over as chairperson. And base, and he's just gone to Jamaica in order to have meetings out there. Terrible life, eh? <laughs> um, incidentally, he arrived back um, on Friday morning, landed at Gatwick at 8 a.m. and the pilot announced that um, uh, Europe, uh, Britain had voted to leave Europe. And he said that there was a collective gasp and then just silence mm -hmm. from everybody on the plane. Um, so, uh, yeah. Anyway, so he was out in Jamaica making links out there. Flag Up Scotland Jamaica is less about what you call reparations and more about saying, look, you know, we've got these historic links and let's make them much more positive links. So let's look at doing educational exchanges, cultural exchanges. Let's look at the Scottish government maybe saying, well, yes, Malawi's a focus for us, but maybe Jamaica could also be a focus. But let's just look at different ways that we can work together. So he's been out there doing that. I'm part of that campaign and I'm really proud to be part of it. And also a couple of years ago, uh, we produced a play called Emancipation Acts during the Commonwealth Games. Um, I, won't, I won't go into it just now, but all I'll say is that we had huge crowds and I can tell you that Scottish people want to know the truth. They're not afraid to know the truth about the bits of our history that are not so good. And it's not about beating ourselves up, it's just about saying, yeah, that was wrong and yes, we benefited and yes, Jamaica really hasn't, obviously didn't benefit. We ravaged that country and they're still paying the price today as we're still benefiting today um so it's a softer approach to it but it's an approach that says let, let's just let's just admit and if anyone wants to read more about it i would read my good friend stephen mullen's book which is called it was neos <laughs> um and i have to explain this when i'm down in england to people i always say to them do you know what that means it was neos and they go uh, it was neos um <laughs> And that's because in Scotland we have this, we like to think, well, it was the English that did that really, wasn't it? But we were up to our necks in it as well. So it's just about facing up to that and about creating more positive links in the future. Brilliant. And that's us at the end of another episode of Parliamental. And if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can contact us on Twitter at ParlamentalPod, on Facebook, search for Parliamental, and via email at parliamentalpodcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review if you like the show. And I'll be back in a fortnight with another episode. Yep. So thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye.